Hey guys, it's just a pint. Hey, what's going on, guys? Here at the swamp, get ready to beat LSU. Y'all tune in to the Rule Number One podcast on Monday. Yeah, yes, sir. Another week, another episode. I know. I uh, I really enjoyed AJ's uh, episode last week. He's a uh, man. He was. Not all over the place, but he's, you know, he's a character. Um, he had so many great insight to being a paramedic and a firefighter. Um, and then we kind of went cool down stories. some really cool rabbit trails, too, yeah. um, which I really enjoyed. Um, but you want to bring in this guy? His, uh, I just really enjoyed his personality. Oh, yeah. Spirit, really good looking, you know, good good guy. Good guy. <laughs> good but looking yeah. guy. Yeah, good looking guy. <laughs> um, tonight, we have a cool guest star. I kind of met her. Um, i Fortunate enough, I was working with Twisted Tides down in the mar- Marathon Boat Show, I believe. Seafood Festival, actually. Um, this young lady, I came into our apparel tent that, where I was selling up, set up at the festival. And she was really eyeballing the UM-looking colored shirt that we have. Um, and I, you know, I have a knack of talking to people, and I like to sell stuff. So I mentioned to this lady, I said, you go to UM? And... She said yes. So as soon as that happened, I read, you know, alarm went off. And I was like, you know what? I want to introduce myself, get her to know, see if she wants to come on the podcast and talk about herself. <laughs> but we have a cool guest star tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to bring in Miss Michelle Jimenez. She is a marine, you know, affairs teacher down in Miami, South Dade County, correct? Yes. <laughs> Welcome in, Michelle. <laughs> I love the background so, on yes, the Zoom. Yes. <laughs> we have, I don't think we've had anybody that had a background like that before. Yeah, well, it's kind of a mess back here, so that's why I have the background <laughs> up. But, no, yeah. you're fine. Um, so, Michelle, you know, we ask uh, every guest, um, every episode, what is your number one rule you live by? It's kind of our marquee question. Um, it's kind of the name of the podcast as well. Yeah, sure. And uh, it kind of you know, gets a little insight into you as a person um, and kind of gets, you know, everybody's, you know, little snippet, little hook action. Absolutely. So my number one rule is actually a quote that I have read, um, like in a lot of different places. Um, but it goes something like treat the earth well, because we didn't uh, get it from our parents, we're actually borrowing it from our children. And so I take that as not just obviously as a marine affairs conservationist oriented person um, of how we have to take care of our planet, of the ocean, of the environment, but also environment in terms of like how we treat each other. And especially as a teacher, how I create that environment for my students so that they can also pass that on in the future. You know, that's a big point, Michelle, that I always bring up with guests is how their number one rule like kind of connects with the job or their, you know, whatever experience they would have, you know, come on and talk about. And I think that's cool. You, you obviously are very educated um, and you read. That is really cool. I know me and Nate, we're fresh off the college block here into the world and me and him are figuring out how important reading books actually are. And uh, getting smarter by the day, hopefully, both of us. Definitely. And um, that's a really interesting quote. I was trying to dissect both, like all three. Can you repeat it one more time for me? Sure. It's treat the earth well. It was not given to you by your parents, but it was loaned to you or borrowed to you from your children. That last part. So it's not that we get it from, you know, like it was passed down. It's more like we're taking away from the future generations in what we're doing, what we're using, 
um, stuff like that. That is very, that is very true. Um, I know there's a lot of plastic and just a lot of bad stuff going on with, you know, conservation and things around that. I just hope that there's a hope. I mean, I'm sorry. I hope there's a future (laughs) promising future with people like you in that field that are working hard, you know, make it happen. So to get into this, you graduated from Miami, correct? Yes. 2016. Yeah. 2016. Okay. Nice. That's me and Nate. We're still in high school. Yeah. Yeah. Not too, not too uh, before us, but yeah, no, I graduated 2017. You were 2018. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's a very prestigious university here in the state of Florida. That is a, that's quite an impressive program too. How did you get like lined up going into that? Uh, sorry, it cut off a little bit, but, um, I think you were asking like, how did I get in and kind of stuff like that? How do you, how do you like find yourself going into that? How do you, where was the spark? Where was the interest there? Um, so for me, since a young age, I've always been interested in the ocean. Um, my parents actually, uh, took me to SeaWorld, um, when I was young and I fell in love with obviously the marine life. And I swore that I was going to become like a penguin caretaker. Um, and so I kind of (laughs) found a way to, to see how, how it was possible to get that job or like a dolphin trainer. And um, not only that, but also when I was younger, they would take me to the beach and I was like deathly afraid of like sharks and totally thought that, you know, a shark would try to come on shore and try to like eat me or something. So funny, (laughs) like those two combinations (laughs) made me interested in marine science. So in high school, they actually did have marine science. I went to Coral Gables Senior, which is a school in Coral Gables um, here in Miami. and they offered those two classes and i heard that you know um had that marine science program so i kind of did everything that i needed to do like uh to make my application as strong as possible and so in high school i was in uh, part of the ib program which is like an international uh, diploma program where you know curriculum is set by you know that that institution and, you know, took all the advanced classes, took um, any APs, any advanced classes that I could, even dual enrollment, which are like the college level ones that you take at the local community college, um, in the hopes that I would uh, be able to attend UM. Um, but it, it was kind of a long uh, process for me to get accepted at UM, not just because like grades, of course, but it was also, um, you know, when you're applying to college, it's your financial background as well, right? Like, yes. do you have enough money to, to uh, pay for tuition? And UM is a private school. So at that time, I think it was like $45,000 to attend a year. And, um, you know, coming from an, an immigrant background, my parents are both from Mexico. They came here in the late 80s you know, we grew up like middle class, but I don't think we could afford to pay $45,000 a year to go to the school. So uh, that was obviously a big issue. I did apply to other schools as well here in Florida, but the biggest issue that I was running into was not getting in because I did. I got into all the schools that I applied to, which was you know, FIU, um, USF, UCF, and Stetson, and of course, UM, I got into all of them, but then the problem was pay. And at that time, again, my parents were immigrants, they were actually undocumented. So for me, it was really difficult to get that financial aid, because they were claiming, 
hey, your parents are not legal residents, so you're depending on their finances. So that means you too are in a way not a legal resident of Florida. So a lot of the public schools actually wanted to charge me out-of-state tuition or international tuition because, again, of that legal status. So it was really scary at that time to, I don't know, like see what was going to happen because, you know, all these universities accepted me but didn't want to help me out. And funny enough, UM, because it's a private school, they don't really look at those things. So they just look at your merits, the financial need that is there. And they actually gave me a scholarship. So I got the trustee scholarship, which paid for essentially like 75% of the tuition. And then just through working. Yeah, definitely. Just through working. And of course, my parents helping me out, I was able to attend. And came out with maybe four thousand dollars in loans which is not bad at all that's for, not for, for the for university of yeah. miami at a private school oh my gosh that's got to be so. something you're uh you're proud of as well i have a question for you um coral yeah. gables you said high school correct mm-hmm. how many was in your graduating yeah. class so in my graduating class was like close to like 800 students okay something like that Okay. It was a really big high school. Yeah, that's huge. My, I had 123 in mine, and we were the biggest in school history at that point. Um, so you were a pretty smart cookie, it sounds like, coming out of high school. You yeah, had all definitely. your ducks in a row. You were dual enrolled. You were taking IB classes. That's pretty cool. I, You know, we had Brett Garrick on, what, two weeks ago now that – very, he encouraged the same programs, a dual enrollment, and mm-hmm. getting getting ahead in the pro, uh, ball game on college credits. So coming out of high school, going to Miami as a freshman, did you live on campus or were you at home? I commuted from home. Okay, so yeah. what is it like? I just that big, beautiful campus. Like, what is like? What's the most? What's the best part to go to? If you're going to take me on a tour there, what do I need to go see? So for me, uh, again, because I was marine science, um, what's really cool about our program is they, from freshman year, they already let you go take classes on the marine campus. So the marine campus is in Key Biscayne or Virginia Key. um, And literally day one marine science you're you're going and taking the shuttle to the marine campus which is beautiful if you ever get a chance um it's a hidden gem and actually there's a of the campus called the wet lab where wednesdays thursdays and fridays they have like local beers um so many a time were spent um on that campus um (laughs) obviously so that's, I think, one of the best places. And I argue that it's probably the best view of the sunset, uh, more than like Rusty Pelican or any of the kind of like fancier upscale uh, restaurants that are nearby. Mm-hmm. Um, so Wet Lab is my favorite place on the Marine uh, UM campus. Yeah, that's very cool. Because, um, you know, for instance, like Brian and I, we went to a small um private college. I think, uh, I think we ride around through the whole school. We've got I think it's like 1300. Um, so Maybe. very, yeah, <laughs> yeah, very, very small um, compared to that. But it, it kind of just blows my mind thinking about, you know, the different um, degrees that you go into in big schools um, and how the marine science major alone has their own like big campus. Yes, you know? right. <laughs> like, uh, for instance, I was an agriculture studies major um, and we had our own little building, but I think it had like 
five or six classrooms in it. Um, and so hearing <laughs> people, hearing people's stories from bigger university, it's like, you know, I, I was very blessed to go where I went. Um, it's, you know, a fantastic uh, program at Warner, um, especially for agriculture. But it's, it is cool to hear, you know, kind of the perks from, you know, the University of Miami being as, as prestigious as it is. When you say shuttle at the wet lab, is like this a campus or is this campus like close to the water? Or is it like out on a key somewhere? It's out on a key. So UM is on like the mainland. Uh, again, in Coral Gables is is where UM is at, the big campus. Mm-hmm. And then if you go just down US1, um, again, into uh, towards Key Biscayne, um, it's like the first uh, key that you find there. Virginia Key is where it's at. So there is like a little shuttle that the school runs from the two campuses. So we could jump on the shuttle go to the other campus and then spend the day there or, or not, or come back. So I was thinking like a boat shuttle for some reason. I, I don't know why. So, um, Michelle, like I want to talk a little bit about, you mentioned, um, your high school class and you talked about, um, your Marine background and how you, you know, piqued an interest with that with SeaWorld and everything. Um, you said you were a little, you know, scared of sharks, um, <laughs> going, going into the Marine program at UM. Um, did you ever overcome that or is it more of just, a you know, you prefer fish, you prefer the penguins and stuff like that. Go into that a little bit and, you know, what, what's your favorite part about the Marine science? Because there's, you know, there's vast you know you got so many different divisions yeah so that that's another thing i think i ended up like picking that major just to get over that fear of sharks like uh, <laughs> like i mentioned and <laughs> and i remember that like one of the first classes that i had which was just marine science um they had uh, organized like a trip for all the freshmen to go snorkeling and obviously that was my first time snorkeling, but I didn't tell anybody because I didn't want to, you know, like alarm the teacher or like the professor that I've never gone in the ocean before. Uh, like that, you know, just being dropped off the boat and there you go, go snorkeling. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but I survived, obviously, so that's okay. Um, but I think that's really what drew me in, right? Once I hit the water and started seeing what was underneath, you know, on those coral reefs that we went to in uh, Key Largo, I think is where we ended up going to John Pennekamp. And oh, yeah, yeah. I fell in love with that, all the different fish. Um, and so that's more what I, I really enjoy, right? The, the going underwater. So I ended up getting my scuba certification at UM. Um, there's actually like a scuba club that you can get your certification through. Um, and then I would go diving with them, you know, every chance that they had um, a trip. So that's definitely what my favorite memories are from being in that program. And then, of course, like even fueled the passion for marine science and marine biology even more. You know, I'm, I'm right there with you. I went diving or I say diving, snorkeling off of alligator reef for the first time two years ago off the coast of marathon and i fell in love with it too so all the colorful fish i didn't go to the extent of getting a degree in the field um but i went to the extent of one to get my scuba certification i know me and nate are planning on doing that here soon and hitting some reefs down there do you have any like locations we must see like any hidden secrets that locals know um i think the one of the best spots again is in uh key largo um, if you ever get a chance, like uh, when you go scuba diving, try to get them to let you go visit like the Jesus Christ statue that's underwater. I saw that on TikTok. Um, I still haven't been able to go because every time I end up going scuba diving, either the conditions are too rough 
or the visibility is not very good, but I would say that that's probably one of the most famous places uh, to go. Have you done your research on that place, that statue? Like if I asked you how deep it was underneath the water, you could tell me? It's pretty shallow. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's pretty shallow. I think it's like, I don't know, 30, 40 feet. It's not, it's not too bad. I wonder why there's a statue of Jesus Christ. But it's just like, if the visibility isn't like the conditions are right, then they don't, they don't really go out there. Okay. It kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, I haven't heard that before. Um, it kind of reminds me of, uh, the whole new Outer Banks season and everything. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but you know, they've got the cross and they're on this treasure hunt. Um, but that, you know, that whole kind of, idea of stuff underneath the water. Um, it, it, you know, piques my interest because, you know, there's so many times out there, whether it's, you know, the Titanic or, you know, ships that were coming over from Africa or Europe, um, back in the day, trying to make it to the United States, um, or North America, um, as I should say, it, it kind of blows my mind. And, you know, I was talking, we were talking about getting our scuba certifications. Um, I grew up in the water. Um, I grew up going to, uh, Crystal River up in North Florida and scalloping and then going down to the Keys and, uh, and, um, lobstering. But I, I, at the same time had that kind of same fear of, uh, sharks. And whenever I got to college, for whatever reason, I became like a daredevil, daredevil. And so now I like, I want to go down deep and like, if I could get like in a submarine or something, go see like the Titanic or go see all the underwater stuff. It like blows my mind that, you know, we just, there's a lot of stuff down there that we have no idea what's going on. No clue. We live right off the coast of the Bermuda Triangle, or right off the coast. We live, what, 50 miles from the Bermuda Triangle? I'm not sure the distance, but it's close. She might know. Yeah, (laughs) it's not far away. (laughs) Imagine how many hidden gems are down there on those planes and stuff. Oh, man. I'm in. I'm in. Let's go dive. (laughs) (laughs) So getting back into the program, you do all these cool trips with the programs, but you went into marine affairs, correct? Yes. Can you enlighten me on a little bit on that? Sure. So with the marine affairs, it's like learning about not just the background of marine science, but then looking on the policy side of things. So, okay, here's all the problems with that humans are, human activities are, you know, impacting on the marine environment. Cool. That's very sad. What can we do about it? And so I had to take um, some law classes. I did have to take like an ocean law class uh, where we literally just went through like the United Conventions on the law of the sea and and what is like permitted and not permitted um, ocean activity wise for, you know, within the coastal waters of like any country. Um, I've had to take policy where you, you know, kind of look at the policies that have already been written and use them to like support a case as to why something should be protected or should not be protected, either an area or an organism. Um, and so that was kind of my main thing. I didn't have to like take all the crazy, like organic chemistry or physics Mm -hmm. or anything like that. But I still got, I would say, like a well-rounded view of just the marine science and marine biology concepts, and then also like the policy side. Um, My goal really was to get into, again, like being, you know, working at the EPA or working at NOAA, um, trying to decide these policies. But I guess like stuff kind of took a turn and I actually ended up double majoring, not only in marine science, but environmental policy as well. 
And then I ended up actually minoring in education, which is the field that I'm in now. Um, kind of as a backup at first, um, which is funny that I ended up using it. What What's like the number one rule to see? Like you, you know, all these policies and stuff. Like if you could give us like one broad like rule, like one don't do or one live to live by on the sea, what would it be? I would just say like, um, try to enjoy the water without taking from it. Um, it's definitely, it belongs to everybody. Um, but at the same time, it's all of our kind of like responsibility to take care of it as well. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I am, I am very curious to see, um, your opinion on things and, you know, with, with the podcast, we are big on, we want everybody's views. Um, so in terms of like sportsmen, um, for instance, you know, fishing and hunting and things like that, um, there are very many people, um, there are several people that consider themselves very big of conservations because they enjoy hunting and they enjoy fishing. Um, and then there's people that, enjoy um that are conservationists that want to preserve everything as well um how would you feel on how do you feel on you know fishermen or lobsters or scallops or stuff like that um you know do do you see it as a way of you know leave the fish where they are leave the scallops leave the lobster um or do you see it more of be modest um and make sure there's time to reproduce or things like that yeah, so I am a big lover of seafood, hence why I was at the seafood festival. Um, <laughs> and that's also uh, that's also why I, you know, got into this. I my dad actually worked at a fishery um, for over twenty years, so I always grew up, you know, eating seafood and just, um, you know, that was our livelihood. That was how, you know, my dad was able to help me pay for UN. Mm -hmm. So I have a big appreciation for that industry. And so for me, I feel like we have to conserve in order to continue eating the foods that we want, right. um, you know, continue having, you know, tuna and swordfish and scallops, of course, and shrimp. Um, you know, at the rate that we're fishing right now, unfortunately, a lot of those populations are not are not bouncing back. Right. We're overfishing or we're um, not letting them um, get to the age or to the size where they can reproduce. So like, another passion of mine or what I ended up really like focusing on when I was at UM was aquaculture. I, I ended mm -hmm. up taking one of the aquaculture classes. I was going to ask you and, about that, actually. And basically learning that we could all supplement what we catch with farmed fish or farmed shrimp. Um, so that's kind of my stance on it. I think we kind of need a combination of, of all methods, you know, conservation, no take, but also I understand that seafood is super popular. And for a lot of people, that's their main source of protein. Um, so let's come up with solutions. Let's come up with ways that we can support and make everyone happy. When you say species are like having a hard time getting back to a certain size or, or getting overfished, what, like what species are you specifically talking about so one of them that's really popular is like cod um you mm. know like the stuff that they used to make uh like fish sticks and stuff out of mm -hmm. uh, or like fish and chips um that's one of those species that like was severely overfished and now like there's very little or they use um paddock padlock instead um so that's one of the examples that i can think of um like same 
Mm -hmm. um, and the population completely like tanked. And so now it's not allowed uh, to be fished anymore because severely depleted. Um, and it's been replaced with other things. So if you look at a lot of the boxes, it won't say cod, even though the box label says it, mm -hmm. it'll be some other uh, kind of fish. So oh. that's one of the biggest examples, you know, like we don't want some of our favorite foods to go away. So conservation is probably like, even though we don't like it being told, hey, you can't fish this uh, organism anymore. Um, it's in our best interest to find like that sustainable number uh, so that we can continue having it, um, you know, for the long time. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you know, myself as a, you know, a sportsman, I really enjoy the outdoors. I love hunting and fishing and, um, I'm a, I'm a big stickler and anybody you, you know, that knows me, you can ask them, you know, I'm, I'm big on, you know, if there's a limit, I'm sticking to the limit. Uh, yeah. if there's a size, I don't care if I'm a quarter under or, uh, or if I'm a quarter over in some fish, you know, you have to hit a slot. Um, but it, it's a big thing for me as we want to be able to enjoy it for generations, kind of like your number one rule. Um, and, you know, along the lines of you were talking about, you know, how cod um, was over overfished and now we can't enjoy that. I feel like a lot of people just overlook it. And, uh, and for yeah, instance, for sure. like with sportsmen, um, they'll be like, oh, you know, what's, what's one more scallop or, you know, what, what's a lobster one, one inch under. And it's like, to me, uh, at that point, it's like, okay, just cause nobody's looking doesn't mean you can just do that because, you know, there's 50,000 other people that are doing the same thing. And all of a sudden that's at least 50,000 other, you know, lobsters or 50,000 other scallops or what, however, snook, uh, yeah, snook big time, you yeah. know, Oh, Oh, just fillet it and throw it in the cooler. Like while you're out there, it drives me nuts because, yeah. you know, I want my kids or my grandkids to be able to experience the same fishing trips and outdoors adventures that I had. And we don't, we don't, Florida's getting developed so fast and so quickly. Um, and a lot of this natural Florida, um, some would say, or old Florida is being depleted. And, uh, and I'm, I'm just a big person on conservation, like I was saying, and I really want, you know, the future generation to still be able to experience some of these outdoor Florida things without, you know, it just being, you know, murky water or, you know, just species going extinct or, you know, you know, y'all, y'all understand I, what I I'm trying like, to say. Yeah, I get it. And I just feel like if, you know, if we were to enact things on cod and stuff like that, conservation acts laws, I feel like it's okay to do that, but like, mm -hmm. it's okay to have your cake and eat it too in the sense. When I say this, I mean, if there's laws on it, abide by it, right? Yeah. Follow me. Like the snook, the snook population died off completely terribly after a red tide way back. And I think it was 2012 when it happened. They would leak out of Okeechobee. Something bad. Um, killed off a lot of the snook. They decimated the population. They put a hold on all fillets yeah, it, and everything. It was a freeze too. Yeah. It was a bad, bad freeze. freeze. And people still haven't abide by it. Mm -hmm. So these fish are very, very... I guess fast reproducing, this in a car, and they have a lot of eggs. You know, if people would just abide by the conservation laws for, I guess, I don't know, twenty years, right? Yeah. Twenty years. Imagine how fast and how abundant that species would be if we would just leave it alone for twenty years. If everybody mm -hmm. abide, you know, we might not be able to eat a fish or a snug taco until we're forty-five. But I'd rather wait twenty years and go have as many as I want at that point. 
Yeah, Michelle, I I kind of want to get your opinion on it. Um, in terms of, you know, what what are some of these solutions? You know, this is you know, yeah. marine uh, policy was, um, kind of like the lines you went down. Um, where you know what what are some of these solutions? You know, does is it supply and demand? Obviously, you know, if everybody wants cod, you know, you jack the prices up. Taxes, um, maybe. Yeah, or or how do we how do we get around this? I want I, I want your input and see you know to better Florida as we are. Yeah, so there's different. There's a lot of different kind of um, uh, what's the word solutions that we could use to to like keep those uh populations uh still going not being depleted um one of the big ones that um that is going a lot now is if you go to a supermarket and you look for any particular kind of fish the label will say hopefully where it comes from and uh there are actually labels that say hey this fish was caught in a sustainable way which means that they, you know, the, the fishery boats that are going out there are using techniques that are catching the target fish, um, not catching a lot of bycatch or things that they didn't mean to catch. Um, and again, that just, just, it's like a big label is a big, like green, uh, green flag for us to know, Hey, maybe I should buy from this particular species and this particular place because they're using sustainable methods. Um, another one is, uh, like I tell this to my students a lot when we're talking about, uh, fisheries, which is one of the topics that we went over this year. Um, there are little guides. There's one from the Monterey Bay Aquarium where it's like, uh, it's called seafood watch. And again, it's just like a list of different fish species and which ones are like green. You can go ahead and pretty much from anywhere. Um, it's, it's sustainable to eat. And which ones are kind of like big red flag, we should leave them alone, let them have their time to replenish um, and stuff like that. And then looking also again at the aquaculture, now you're going to see that a lot more again on those labels, whether it's wild cod or it is uh, farm rates. So same thing, looking for those uh, labels telling us it's sustainably farmed or where it's coming from. Um, hopefully here in the U.S., but if it does come from other places, that they're using again those sustainable methods. Yeah, and I feel like that's a that's a big problem with um, conservation and being sustainable. Um, like you mentioned, is because not all countries have the same regulations as the United States, um, and so whether it's Mexico or uh, South America or China or however. Um, these these oceans aren't owned by one country. Obviously, that we we know that. Um, I feel like culture plays a big role in it too. Definitely, all um, over the world. And you know, you hear things about. Um, I don't know if you've seen the show like Whale Wars or whatever. <laughs> um, and and China harvests um, whales Japan. and everything, Japan. or with Japan, that's what it was. Um, Japan <laughs> harvesting whales. Um, and, and I just feel like there's there's got to be some way that we can, you know, if we can figure out a way with the Geneva Convention to kind of keep, you know, war in order, I feel like we can somehow come up with a way where all countries have to abide some kind of, you know, conservation, whether it's, you know, emissions or... Um, An oceanographical code or something. Yeah, yeah, or something that you have to keep it at like this a point. Right. A handbook for it. How, how do you feel about that, Michelle? Yeah, so there's definitely like uh, talks um, internationally between countries. Obviously, our different kind of cultures and and the way that I guess our economies run 
also dictate, you know, what kind of stance that country is going to take in terms of conservation. Um, you mentioned the example with, you know, Japan and, and whaling. Um, there are, uh, you know, rules uh, in that United Convention Law of the Sea that do prevent, you know, certain species from being fished altogether. And marine mammals is one of them. So unfortunately, how uh, different countries get away with it is by claiming, hey, we're taking this whale or this marine mammal as research. And, you know, under that convention, they say, okay, well, yes, you can take animals for research uh, to learn more about them, to learn more maybe on how to conserve them or things like that. But they're using that kind of as the excuse for the fishing and then using it for obviously gaining money out of that or selling the product uh, to to the market. Um, so it's one of those. It's really hard to crack down. But at the same time, I think if we're just talking with each other, um, you know, these issues, hopefully there can be some kind of agreement. And then when that agreement is reached and signed by several countries, then it becomes the norm. So. I think it is possible, but it just depends on how we reach that agreement. Definitely. Um, so, you know, I heard you kind of mention this. Is there, there is a Marine convention um, that countries partner? I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. So, so the United Nations is in charge of it. Um, oh, okay. There's different countries that like sign to be part of it. And actually when you sign to be a part of it, uh, you are allowed to uh, like, take other countries to court essentially for mm -hmm. breaking agreements um, of that convention. But the funny thing about it is that the U.S. did not sign that convention. So we're upset about a lot of the things that other countries do, but us as a country ourselves cannot take them to court because we are not part of the agreement. Not leading by example. <laughs> yeah, I wonder, I wonder why yeah. they wouldn't... Um why they wouldn't come up with the agreement. Do you know, is there any specific reasons why we haven't signed that? Um, because I know it's, it's a huge hot topic nowadays is, um, you know, keeping the earth, keeping the earth yeah. exactly, you know, how we want it and be able to, you know, um, preserve, you know, whether it's the ozone layer or, mm -hmm. or however, um, do you, was there a specific reason why we didn't join that? Um, or do you know? I think, uh, the main reason, um, and this is just my opinion, is more like the U.S. wants uh, kind of like let other countries like agree and sign so that they could be held to the standards of the agreement. But then at the last minute kind of ducked out so that they don't have to be, um, again, held to the standards of that agreement. So everyone else has to follow it, but not the U.S. Financial they can greed. continue doing their things yeah. as usual. Financial so, greed. You know, it's kind of tricky what we did there. I think the hardest part about uniting the world over the ocean issues at hand, whether that be harvesting marine mammals or overfishing certain species and areas, would be the culture aspect of it. I know there's an island, I believe, off the coast of Europe that does like a big whale killing every year, but mm -hmm. they've done it for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years as a culture. They're not going to yeah. stop. Like, and same with the Japanese people, the culture. They've eaten whale meat for years. They're going to harvest that meat. It's just been in their culture. I think that's going to be the hardest part of trying to find some universal code that's going to preserve the oceans the best so we all can enjoy it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. And I feel mm -hmm. like um, 
you know, it well it kind of goes back to back um, before the United States was the United States. Um, whenever the American Indians came here, you know, there was such a vast variety of all different um, animals that you know they were plentiful. Um, and we people came over when the United States came over and um, took over. Um, in my opinion, that's a very dark time in the United States, but we're not going to get into that. Um, <laughs> Uh, they they harvest so many of these animals and there was no conservation. Um, that's why buffalo's so low and there's you know there's a lot of things that um, depleted that. But at the same time, how do you how do you differentiate between a culture and conservation? Kind of like what you were saying, you know, um, if you know somebody from Japan, you know, loves eating whale meat and it's part of their culture they've eat, eaten it their whole entire lives they might look at us eating a big mac and think we're kind of silly for putting preservatives in our bodies and yeah. you know things like that you know what i mean and so it's it's I'm, it's definitely a hard thing to differentiate between a culture and you know conservation i feel like michelle do you know if there's yeah. like a company that is like our company sorry a, a country that is like spearheading the efforts for conservation in a sense of like world help not just independent help or region help i do think that there are countries out there that are kind of doing a better job i know for example uh costa rica is a is a really good country in terms of like they have lots of renewable energy um they many of their like natural like forests and of course marine areas are protected um or have like a lot of eco tourism going on where they allow you know people to come in um and like enjoy nature be a part of it you know fish or you know stay in a treetop hotel or something like that but with the with the concept or with the idea of also educating the people that are going to these uh to these places yeah so um another one i would say is also like panama there's like different um islands um off the coast like one of them is called uh bocas del toro and actually as part of um uh one of the classes that i took uh actually had a trip to go to that uh to that part of panama and we got to visit um you know one of those like ecotourism hotels um and see how they you know like live with the land uh but also protecting the guests um so that was a really cool thing that i got to do um never really traveled outside of the country other than to like visit my family in mexico so that was kind of like the first uh you know major like cultural experience that i had yeah i couldn't imagine what, what was the name of this hotel do you, do you remember yeah so the class i think i took was it was like a conservation um, or like coastal conservation or something like that. It was like a, a multi uh, subject class. So like we had students that came from the law school and also took it as like a law class, like a coastal law class. Mm -hmm. uh, there were some grad students that took it as like a coastal management. And then I think I took it like as an ecology class or something like that. So it was like completely different majors all coexisting in this one course to study Bocas del Toro, which is, again, a group of islands off the coast of Panama. Um, and we all had to come up with like a different project about some aspect of that country, whether it was, um, you know, like land rights um, and who owns the land, 
um, you know, the native peoples of that region or people, you know, expats from the U.S. that can pay uh, to to get the agreements, the deeds to the land, right? Um, or my project, which was about actually seafood. Uh, again, I love seafood. <laughs> um, <laughs> which I, uh, our project was more based on like the labeling of the seafood um, and also like the linguistic barrier that there sometimes is between the tourists and the locals, right? So in Panama, they speak mostly Spanish. And I was trying to see if there was, um, if like what they said was on the menu or what they said was on the market like list was actually the fish that they were selling. And for the most part, Yes, it was. Um, there was a couple of fish that they said, I think it was like, um, I think it was like a flounder that they said that they had caught locally um, or something like that. But it was actually like um, tilapia or something or swai from like Vietnam. Um, so that was the only instance that I saw. But it was, again, mostly just the language barrier of trying to translate um, the food from English or from Spanish to English that there was a little bit of discrepancy with the labeling. But for the most part, most of it was caught there. Most of it was local. So by buying the fish there, you're supporting local fishermen. So, so this that was, was a, a pretty cool project. A fish market you did this study in? Uh, yeah. So what we did was we kind of like went to different restaurants and different fish markets. So got to try a lot of seafood, um, nice. but also got to learn uh, from the locals, like who where it was caught, uh, you know, a, again, mostly local fishermen, just with their boats, just with their nets or with their lines. Um, and then the stuff that's in the market could be, um, you know, imported from the main city like Panama City uh, or or from other places um, in the world. So it's a combination of both. It's a cool little study there, and you get a cool trip out of it, too. Yeah, definitely. Um, Michelle, you know, <clears throat> you've talked about, you know, your whole time at UM um, and being able to see some of these cool experiences. Um, do you see yourself staying a teacher um, in the future, or do you see yourself um, going out and doing something? Um, I know you have a big, uh, big chance and a big platform to be able to inspire, you know, the young generation and get them fired up about conservation, um, which is a blessing within itself. Um, but do you see yourself going on maybe a bigger stage or um, working on something else? Like the CCA or one of those kind of con like conservation no organization, something like that. So for me, I feel like, I, I mean, of course, that was the dream, right? To work at one of these big agencies like the EPA um, or like uh, National uh, Fishery Service. Um, but at the time where I graduated from UM in 2016, and that was a time where, you know, change in administration in terms of like the presidency and there was a lot of like hiring freezes in terms of all of those like environmental jobs. So it was really difficult for me to figure out what I was going to do after college with all of this, you know, knowledge and passion that I have for conservation. Um, and I actually ended up working that summer, um, essentially like a tourism guide or like an eco tour guide um, with the county park service. Um, you know, taking kids and also their parents like kayaking, snorkeling and canoeing all over different places in, cool in Miami, um, which was really awesome. Um, you know, got to be on the water every day. 
Um, and, you know, learning all the facts was great. But at that same time, I applied for grad school. So I ended up um, going to FIU for a master's in environmental policy and management. So at that time, it was like I wanted to continue doing the ecotourism, but I also had that master's that I just started. Um, so I um, heard from a, a classmate of mine that she was uh, going to teach at the school that I'm currently at, Mass Academy um, in Key Biscayne. And um, she was actually leaving for another job and she offered it to me. She was like, hey, I know that you would be a great fit because we studied at UM together. We both studied marine science. Why don't you go try it out and see what happens? And so I ended up actually staying at that job and I've been there since. So this is my seventh year teaching at that school. And I feel like I'm making more of an impact because I, you know, teach, let's say 150 students every school year, that's 150 possibilities of mm -hmm. people that could go on into the future to make that difference in that conservation. That's a cool answer. That's yeah. a good answer. I wish, you know, I, we just met, um, <laughs> what, 47 minutes ago, and I wish there were more teachers out there like you. you yes. Know, I, I, I have... I say this all the time um, in terms of high school. There's there's certain teachers that will get you fired up about a topic that you may or may not be interested in. Um, and then there's certain teachers that you may be very interested in a topic and will completely, you know, you sway you away from it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, my favorite, obviously, like in high school, I... I I, in high school, I was not a very uh, big science guy, um, which is funny because I went and got a, you know, a BS, a bachelor's in science and <laughs> agriculture studies. Um, but uh, I had this, you know, um, uh, chemistry teacher could not stand chemistry, but I loved being in his class. And the more I liked being around him, the more I wanted to learn chemistry. Still to this day was not very good in it. Took uh, took it in college again. Still did not do well in it. But <laughs> I uh, I really appreciate it. And and I feel like teachers don't get enough appreciation. Um, and you know I I appreciate you know you um as a person and being able to you know um go into um the the school system and being able to you know try to inspire this next generation. Um, because there's so many people out there that they have. Um, great gifts and could go to, you know, um, some of the conservation groups that you were talking about and have big dreams. And instead of going do something on a really big stage, you, you decide to go um, and try to, you know, preach into these kids. And in, in my opinion, you make a bigger impact on where you're at now than if you were at, um, at a different company, um, in my personal opinion. But I also appreciate that the fact that you're passionate about what you mm -hmm. teach there's a lot of teachers around the country nowadays that'll go into teaching just for a paycheck. Yeah. They don't really care about what they're teaching. They're not really passionate about it. He's just there clicking through a slideshow because, you know what, it's got good benefits and I can drive a new truck because I do it. You know what I'm saying? You were there because you were placed there. Your calling has led you to this point, and you were going to fire up the next generation about conservation and teach them at a what, pretty young age what, 16, 15-year-olds, 15, 15 to 16-year-olds? A little 18-year-olds yeah, too? Yeah, they're high school. Yeah, so like, pretty so young So mostly age. juniors and seniors, so they're about to graduate um, is, is mostly my population. So 
you're about you could inspire these kids at 17 to 18 years old to you know fully steer them into a field that they could go into right then and there you know i wasn't that fortunate i was 20 what one when i figured out i wanted to be a communications major you know i was all invested in playing sports really didn't care what i was going to college with really didn't care about my plans after college i just fell in love with communications because my professor was probably one of my good like i call him a good friend now but one of my best friends on campus and he was passionate about what he taught and he taught it in such a way that it resonated with me and it showed energy in every subject he did. And it's just both of them, actually, in the department. And I just, I really want to applaud you for actually going in there with a positive mindset and looking at it as a chance to inspire the next generation in conservation. Yeah, Michelle, um, we, uh, Every week we uh, we go into a segment and it's called Snap Questions, um, and we uh, we've heard you um, talk about how you know you want to inspire kids and be able to reach that next generation. Well, I want to know who inspires you. Um, if you could have three people out to dinner, um, dead or alive, who would those three people be? Mm. To like talk to. Yeah, you know, you just go out to dinner, anybody, you know, throughout all time or whatever, sit down, have a conversation, learn something, you know, they could be comedians, they could be actors, you know, scientists, whatever, anything. Yeah, sure. Um, So I guess my top three would be um, Jacques Cousteau, which is, uh, you know, really big into you know, the underwater filming. Um, Mm -hmm. I always thought that that was such a really cool um you know topic and idea just to film what's down there again sparking from that curiosity of you know snorkeling and and scuba diving um another one that's really uh on top of my list would be to sit down and have conversations with michael jackson because he was (laughs) one of my favorite artists growing up and you know just to get in the mind of how how you make such uh you know amazing music that touch touches so many people um uh you know college and grad school and even some days at work um and then the last one uh to would be my grandma she recently passed away uh during covid so to have that kind of like closure of talking with her would be super amazing yeah yeah it's awesome i love it i uh i love whenever people um say family members because you know i we all have you know you never know who you're going to have on the podcast you know we've we've had all different kinds of people um and they're labeled as you know firefighters or pilots or school teachers and stuff like that our friend aditya came from indonesia yeah and so i love whenever uh people say family members and you know you get a little insight into them as a person not just necessarily their you know their story of you know michelle the high school science teacher um it's okay to be emotional too i've cried like three or four times on this show it's it's all right (laughs) but our next question for you michelle is i really didn't know that you were into diving um it was just kind of a bonus kind of rabbit hole that we into we Mm -hmm. went into um but i actually have on the script behind us believe it or not like if you could go dive anywhere in the world where would you go dive 
Did you get that? No, I'm sorry. I said, if you could go dive anywhere in the world, where would you go dive? So my top, uh, you know, answer would be the Great Barrier Reef. I I'm, I want to yeah, see it cool. before uh, it goes away. Um, I know that right now it's going through a lot of coral bleaching, a lot of not great times. So to definitely go out there and see it, uh, you know, even even now, with, it may not be its prime, but it it's still a dream of mine to go. I believe I'm a firm believer that it'll bounce back somehow, some way. It'll be some like freaking nature thing that'll revamp it because Mother Nature does that kind of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I hope so. I mean, we'll see. <laughs> conservation, man. You gotta you gotta be able to preserve it and turn it. Um, <clears throat> so you know, you see this uh, you see this gator flag behind us. Brian and I are big uh, big Florida Gator fans. Um, you know, you being uh, going and being a University of Miami alum, which team do you like better, Florida or Florida State? <laughs> or hate the least. Or hate the least, yeah. Uh, ooh, that's a, that's a hard one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, well, so I actually have a lot of students that end up going to FSU, and I kind of always joke with them, like, hey, if you commit to FSU, I'm going to fail you. But I'm just totally joking. I don't <laughs> yeah, actually yeah, yeah. mean it. Um, but where I think FSU fans and UM fans agree is to hate on UF. So that's going to be my answer. Dang. dang. <laughs> see, I see how you Sorry. say, I see how you say <laughs> us UM fans and FSU fans agree to hate on Florida. Florida fans don't agree with either fan yeah. base. We yeah. just hate both of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if you know this or not, but do you know what the rivalry uh, called between University of Miami and uh, – the Florida Gators is the trivia. No, I actually don't. <laughs> it's called the uh, the battle for the Seminole canoe. Yeah, Seminole War canoe. It's cool. It's a cool looking trophy too. Yeah, super cool. Um, that was just my little fun, fun fact, fact for the day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Michelle, we have one last question for you. You know, life of a teacher. My my parents actually were both teachers. Um, growing up. One was a reading teacher. One was actually a science teacher, believe it or not, before he became the athletic director of the high school. Um, so I know money isn't all, it's not there in the profession, I'll say. So let's just say me and Nate had this rule one foundation. We just had a lot of free money to give out. And Michelle, we gave you $100,000. What would you do with that money and, you know, why? Ooh. So... For me, I think, uh, honestly, I think I would just uh, help my family with it. Mm -hmm. uh, they recently uh, bought a house and uh, it's always been a dream of theirs uh, to have this home. So to help them out, you know, pay a big chunk of it would be a phenomenal um, just because they gave back uh, so much to me and, and sacrificed so much to first come here to the U.S. and then, of course, help me with my studies and with everything I do. Um, that's how I would spend it, just helping my family. Um, that's a very wholesome exactly. answer. Yes, very I love wholesome. It. You know, we get we ask that question just about every week as well. Um, and and best and best and best. Yeah, invest. you you get a lot of the you know the stereotypical. Well, you know, I'd put it in the stock market or I'd do this, which you know that's good. 
that's you know it's good yeah and then i honestly personally you know just because we hear it every week you know oh invest in this or invest in that i rather somebody say i'm probably just going to go buy a brand new car or you know i'm going to give it to my family or like i'm gonna yeah you know just like (laughs) let's switch something up and i think that's the first answer that we've had where it's like you know what i'm giving it to my family and and helping my family out which i which i love that well michelle I just want to say thank you so much. That's our last question we got for you tonight on the Snap Questions. But, you know, it's been a really cool conversation. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. Um, get into the conservation and, you know, talking about UM. I didn't even know that they had a course for policy of the ocean, let alone. You, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And it's cool to know that a lot of our viewers don't know that either. And you've educated them on that. And you know, there are programs out there for people in this area. If they do want to get into marine biology, you can, and you can also find Michelle too. We'll get her contact information in the, you know, comments and link them below. We'll also be following her on Instagram. We'll get that out to you guys on our social media. Do you want to shout it out? Yeah. One cool thing that we do um, is we follow every single one of our guests back on uh, Instagram. And so if y'all ever want to look at her um, and check out her um, contact information or get in touch, if you have any questions, um, then you can go to her page um, and you can get, get to that through the rule one podcast Podcast. um where instagram youtube facebook just about anything you can think of um and we will follow us and we recording in progress um and we will you know get back at you yeah definitely (laughs) um and if you want to come on the show if there's any of y'all that are interested um please dm us we enjoy everybody reaching out and uh we we it doesn't matter if you're you know joe smo off the side of the street we like hearing everybody's story and so uh if we can come up with something interesting to talk about we'd love to have you um my girlfriend michelle here she met me at a boat show (laughs) yes michelle i i really appreciate um you coming on and i've had a blast i've learned a lot um and this is a really big topic um with conservation i don't even think that this is necessarily exactly how we plan the episode to go but i I think it was a really good conversation that people need to know about um and need to be um you know educated on um so for that thank you and thank you for all the hard work that you put in the students and preparing this next generation to preserve florida and thank you for being passionate thank you thank you guys for having me um it's pretty cool this is like the first time i've ever done anything like this um normally i'm a really shy person just not in front of my students uh (laughs) so it's just really cool Thank you so much. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I couldn't tell at all. Maybe we pulled uh, pulled you out of your shell a little bit. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> but, there it is. But, yeah. Okay, guys. Well, that's another great <laughs> episode of the Rule One Podcast Partner. Yes. Uh, y'all make sure you like and subscribe. It helps us with the algorithms. And we will see y'all next week. Peace. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks. Yes. Thank you, Michelle.